0: On July 29, a federal judge in Canada ruled that wines produced in Israeli illegal settlements which are built in the illegally occupied West Bank should not have the label of, quote, product of Israel on them because the illegal colonies are obviously not part of the current state of Israel. This ruling was part of a court case centered around two specific wines sold here in Canada under this misleading label. This ruling, which was seen as a major victory for Palestine solidarity and BDS activists in Canada, was decided by Justice Anne McTavish, who, according to Mondovice, said that labeling these settlements' wines as products of Israel was, quote, false, misleading, and deceptive. But the legal battle around these illegally made uh, wines uh, is not over, because after the federal judge's ruling, the Liberal government of Canada, which is as you know is a big supporter of apartheid in palestine israel rejected the ruling and decided to appeal uh, the judge's decision so this whole thing um, started thanks to a lawsuit filed by dr david kattenberg an educator and a palestine solidarity activist based in winnipeg who was concerned that uh, about the legality of selling these wines in Canada because uh, one, because there are made in illegal settlements, but also because of this false and misleading labeling. So our guest today, Dimitri Lascaris, he is the lawyer. He's a lawyer and activist, and he is the lawyer who represented Dr. Kattenberg in this case. So with Dimitri, we will talk about this case and all its legal aspects. And uh, also what's next now that the Canadian government decided to appeal the decision so first of all uh dimitri thank you again for joining us to talk about this case and its latest development
1: thank you it's always a pleasure being on your program thank you
0: so as I mentioned, we covered this case before on the show. And uh, at that time, it was still at the beginning of the case. But today, you know, big congratulations. You guys won your case. But before we go, before I ask you about the developments and what's next and the aftermath of the ruling, obviously, and what's next now, can you maybe remind us uh, about the events that led to this, course case, this court case? Uh, if our listeners remember, this whole thing was prompted... Uh, more specifically because uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency bizarrely flip-flopped on this issue. So can you maybe talk to us about this stage of this controversy?
1: Sure. So this all began in early 2017 when my client, uh, Dr. David Tattenberg, who is a resident of Winnipeg and a member of the Jewish community and uh, the child of Holocaust survivors, wrote to the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, the LCBO, to complain about product of Israel labels on certain wines. Uh, produced in occupied territory by uh, Israeli producers. There, there are numerous other wines uh, he could have complained about, but he complained about uh, two producers in particular, uh, those in the Psagot settlement in the West Bank and uh, the other in the Shebo settlement in the West Bank. And, um, you know, after approximately six months of uh, consideration of his complaint, uh, during which time the LCBO consulted with uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, which is a federal agency, and uh, and during which time the Canadian Food Inspection Agency uh, consulted with the Foreign Ministry of Canada over that period of six months. And by the way, there were something like six or seven specialists from the, across the country who were involved in evaluating Dr. And this complaint. Uh, the CFIA decided that the wines were, in fact, the labels were, in fact, uh, in violation of Canadian law because they were not. The wines were not made. Uh, in Israel, as represented on the labels. Within um, hours of the LCBO being informed of the CFIA decision, uh, somehow, and we don't know how, the B'rith Canada learned of the decision. Uh, Dr. Kattenberg, at that point in time, had not yet been told about the decision. Uh, and the the B'rith Canada and the Israeli ambassador in Ottawa and uh, the Center for Israeli and Jewish Affairs began to apply intense pressure on the Trudeau government to reverse the CFIA's decision. And, and the CFIA is supposed to be independent of political pressure. That's it, that's an explicit part of its mandate. Uh, and within 24 hours of uh, the decision becoming known to the pro-Israel lobby, the uh, the Trudeau government pressured the CFIA into reversing itself. And when it did that, uh, it quoted as a pretext uh, a particular obscure provision of the Canada-Israel free trade agreement. Um, At that point, my client retained me. Up until then, he'd been acting uh, on his own without legal counsel. I agreed to represent him on a pro bono basis. We filed a complaint with the Complaints and Appeals Office of the CFIA. They rejected our complaint. And then we filed a case, a judicial review application in the Federal Court of Canada. Mm.
0: So can you, so maybe can you, so now at this stage, you guys are at the federal level, at the federal court. Can you explain to us who is the opposite side? At this stage of this process, are we only talking about the Government of Canada or the CFIA? Were the winery involved at this stage? Um, and also, what was the opposite argument, I guess?
1: So, uh, the opponent, technically speaking, is the Attorney General of Canada. Hmm. Uh, you know, in sport and understanding litigation, there are uh, various types of participants. The parties themselves are the ones who are litigating the dispute. And you can also have others who come in as interveners. Basically, they aren't parties to the dispute, but they get to make limited submissions, uh, which may be of assistance to the court. So the only parties up until now have been Dr. Kattenberg and the Attorney General of Canada. And effectively, the Attorney General stands in the shoes of the, you know, whatever regulatory agency is being complained about, in this case, the CFIA. Um, so in addition to those two parties, uh, you know, the motions for intervention were filed by B'nai B'rith Canada, and by Independent Jewish Voices Canada. Initially, the court accepted the intervention motion of Independent Jewish Voices and rejected that of B'nai B'rith, but B'nai B'rith appealed the decision and ultimately was allowed to intervene along with IJV. So in the court below, those were the four participants, Dr. Kattenberg, the Attorney General, uh, Independent Jewish Voices, and B'nai B'rith Canada. Uh, More recently, however, one of the two wineries Uh, at issue in this particular case, the Psagot Winery uh, has just filed a motion with the court to be allowed to participate as a party or failing that as an intervener in the appeal. Uh, And we are going to resist that motion. Uh, And in fact, the CEO of the Psagot Winery has filed an affidavit, uh, which is an interesting document, I think quite revealing about the settlers' attitude towards the West Bank, towards occupied Palestinian territory. Um, but we'll have to see how the court adjudicates that. The argument's basically, you know, the main argument, uh, certainly not the only argument, but the main argument of the government uh, rested upon this provision I mentioned in Canada-Israel Free trade agreement. And what that provision says is that uh, for purposes of the agreement, purposes of the trade agreement, this is impo- very important language, um, the territory of Israel is the territory where Israel's customs laws are applied. So the government took the position that Israel's customs laws are applied in the settlements. Uh, In fact, it alleged that they are applied throughout the West Bank. And therefore, uh, you know, it was reasonable for uh, the CFIA to view these labels, the product of Israel labels, as being accurate. The problem, amongst others, with this argument is that You know, as I said, the provision they're relying upon says at the very outset for purposes of this agreement, well, what are the purposes of the Canada-Israel free trade agreement? Essentially, the purpose of the Canada-Israel free trade agreement is to eliminate barriers to trade between Canada and Israel. And the most common type of barrier is a tariff. Uh, The agreement doesn't say anything at all about product labeling, absolutely nothing. In fact, the word label, it's a very, very long, complicated agreement. The word label doesn't appear anywhere in the agreement. And so we explained to the court that that provision has nothing to do with consumer protection. It has nothing to do with product labels. It's only about tariffs and other forms of tariff barriers. And the requirement that all wines, whether they be domestic or foreign in Canada, have accurate country of origin declarations is in no way shape or form a barrier to trade and the court agreed with that position uh, quite properly and therefore uh, on that basis and others rejected the government's position that uh, it was reasonable to allow these products to be sold in canada with the product of israel labels
0: is it legal to sell products made in the illegal settlement regardless of the label, is it legal to sell them in Canada, despite the fact that Canada's official stance is to consider these settlements illegal? Basically, if, this, if these ones were correctly labeled, and I'm not sure how would that be, but if they were correctly mm-hmm. labeled, would there would, would it be legal for them to be sold in Canada?
1: Well, I want to distinguish between the legalities and what Dr. Kattenberg asked for in this case. Dr. Kattenberg, in this case, didn't ask the court to address the question of whether selling these wines in Canada was legal. Uh, he didn't ask the court to address the question of whether according preferential tariff treatment to them is legal. He asked for something very limited. He just asked for the court to, to determine that these labels were false. Uh, having said that, it is not even remotely legal for these products to be sold in Canada, and especially for them to be sold with preferential tariff treatment and with product of Israel labels, because Canada uh, acknowledges, as does virtually the entire international community, that the settlements violate the Fourth Geneva Convention, uh, and in fact, under the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, they also constitute a war crime. And uh, and uh, Canada, under Article One of the Convention, this applies to all the, all the states that have signed on to the Fourth Geneva Convention has an obligation to ensure respect for the convention, not just its own uh, conduct must comply with the convention, but it, it has an obligation to ensure that other parties, other signatories to the convention, such as Israel, comply with its terms. In effect, what the government is doing by allowing these products to be sold at Canada at all, but especially allowing them to be sold with preferential tariff treatment and product of Israel labels is it's facilitating Israel's theft of Palestinian land in violation of the Fortune-Eva Convention. That is a blatant violation of Canada's obligations under Article I of the fortune Geneva Convention. Now, we made that argument to the court. Uh, we didn't ask the court to do anything more than declare the labels uh, unlawful, but we did make the argument to the court that Article I of the Fortune-Eva Convention uh, was being violated here by Canada by allowing these product of Israel labels to be fixed duties-wise Uh, The court, however, at the end of the day, didn't address the issue simply because everybody in the litigation agreed, even B'nai B'rith, that uh, the West Bank is not part of the state of Israel. In fact, even under Israel's own domestic laws, and this was the undisputed expert evidence in the case, even under Israel's own domestic laws at this time, the West Bank is not part of the sovereign state of Israel. So she based her decision on that very simple, indisputable fact.
0: I just want to read a couple of reaction from uh, Palestinians uh, organization and uh, uh, politicians for first uh, one. Uh, according to the news agency WAFA, the Palestinian news agency WAFA, Hanan Ashrawi, who is a member of the executive committee of the Palestine Liberation Organization, or the PLO, welcomed the ruling of Canada's federal court. She also mentioned the Canada-Israel Free Trade, agri- uh, free trade Agreement and the First uh, Geneva Convention that you mentioned. I'm going to quote her. She said, in light of this important ruling, the Palestinian leadership calls on the Canadian government to act in accordance with Canadian and international laws an amend without delay the Canada-Israel Free Trade Agreement Implementation Act, Bill C-85, which affords products originating from illegal Israeli settlements tariff-free status in flagrant violation of Canada's obligation under international law, including the Fourth Geneva Convention, United Nations Security Council resolutions, including Resolution 2334. So that's a reaction from Hanan Ashrawi from the PLO. Also Al-Haq, which is a Palestinian human rights organization also reacted by saying Al-Haq calls on Canada to fulfill its obligations under international law and to prohibit the import of settlement goods and services entirely, as Ireland is in the process of doing. Such a ban is all the more pressing in light of the increasingly flagrant statements made by the Israeli government toward annexing the settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories. So these are a couple of uh, reactions. So they're talking about, they're welcoming the reaction, uh, the, the ruling of the false labeling, but they're talking beyond that. They're talking of Canada should be banning these products altogether.
1: Of course. Absolutely. They, they're absolutely correct. I was aware of those statements. Uh, and in fact, at this time, only one political party in Canada who has, that has representation in Parliament is taking that position even though it's so obviously correct as a matter of international law, and that's the Green Party of Canada. The problem there is that even even the Green Party's leader, Elizabeth May, uh, doesn't talk about publicly, she hardly ever talks, she avoids talking about her party's own policy. Uh, and she's only go, gone so far as to support uh, the position that uh, the labels have to be changed to reflect that they're, the wines are being made in the West Bank. Um, but the problem, the bigger problem, and I think sort of Elizabeth May's uh, extreme reluctance to talk about her own party's policy is a symptom of a, a larger problem and that is that the canadian political elites by and large do not care about palestinian voices they simply don't listen they don't care they don't count and you see this you know just, just let's look outside of the trade context i watch uh, quite carefully uh the commentary the public commentary of canada's diplomatic personnel in uh Palestine uh, and Israel, Uh, and particularly the commentary of Canada's ambassador to Israel, Deborah Lyons. Uh, Deborah Lyons, every time there is an attack or an alleged attack by uh, a Palestinian on an Israeli, even if the attack is occurring in the occupied West Bank, and even if the attack is against a settler who is participating in a war crime against the Palestinian people, she will denounce it. She denounces it publicly and vigorously. It's almost like clockwork. She has not uttered a single word, not a single word within the last 12 months, as far as I can tell, in defense of the Palestinian people who are being gunned down in Gaza. Hundreds have been killed with live fire. Thousands have been wounded. Many persons have been rendered uh, incapacitated, permanently disabled. You know, the, the Israelis have brazenly gunned down medics, journalists, children, Disabled persons. And this shameless ambassador has not said a single word about what is effectively mass murder taking place before the eyes of the world, but she will not hesitate to condemn the attack of an occupied person on a settler. So this is really a a, a quite powerful demonstration of how little Palestinian lives and Palestinian voices matter to the Canadian government. It's both the Trudeau government and its predecessor, the Harper government. And this has been the case for decades. And you don't see much more you know, concern for Palestinian lives from the other parties, although they are better to varying degrees. They are certainly better than the conservatives and liberals, but uh, as far as I can tell, the conservatives and liberals attach zero value to Palestinian life.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, to go back to the, to ru- the ruling, uh, what's interesting, I thought about that, I don't know if you guys were surprised or it was a normal statement from the judge to make because of the litig- uh, litigations themselves. But she, as you said, she did not, uh, the judge did not rule on, you know, the legality of the settlements and so on. But she made a statement about boycott. She did not talk about BDS in particular. But she made the statement about the right of Canadians to boycott and the importance of that act. And uh, which I thought was interesting for her to kind of uh, say, especially as you mentioned, the political climate right now in, in Canada, which is completely supportive of apartheid. We know that our government not long time ago passed a motion against BDS, the boycott call in particular. So. How do you see that? Do you, are you were you surprised that the judge uh, talked about boycott in particular?
1: I was uh, I was pleased. <laughs> <laughs> I was certainly pleased. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say I was surprised. Uh, I think she's absolutely right. I think uh, you know she was. Those submissions came. You know the free speech aspect of this. And she, I think she, it's fair to say that she saw a decision not to purchase a product made by a human rights violator as an expression of, uh, of uh, freedom, as an act of expression, uh, not just an act of conscience, but a, as an act of constitutionally protected expression. Of course, I, I completely agree with that. And, and the thing that I think was shocking, actually shocking, with so many aspects about the government's behavior in this case that it's shocking, frankly, but <laughs> one aspect which I haven't mentioned is that before this judge, the government went so far as to claim that the Consumer protection statutes on on which uh, uh, Dr. Kattenberg based his complaint uh, do not protect consumers when lies, when they are told lies that affect their matter, their conscience, but do not affect their health and safety. So the government was taking the position that only if your physical safety is jeopardized by a misrepresentation made by a producer, only then can you invoke these statutes. So what that would mean it's not just that Palestinian people would be left out in the cold, but let's imagine, uh, let's imagine people who buy products and they're very concerned about animal rights. And they, there's a representation on the product by the producer that uh, these, uh, that the product was made consistently with the, uh, you know, the concern for the welfare of animals and so forth. And that just turns out to be a bald based lie. And in fact, the animals, uh, the the, producer, the livestock of the producer were treated very cruelly. Or let's imagine somebody who wants to buy a a product that's made locally because they're concerned about climate change and they don't want to buy products that are being transported you know thousands of miles thereby creating all sorts of carbon emissions but the but the but the claim made on the product that the product is made locally is a lie according to the government the consumer who is lied to in those cases would have absolutely no recourse couldn't complain under the law the federal law that was designed to protect consumers This is how far the Canadian government was prepared to go to protect these settlers. It was prepared to argue to the court that these important consumer protection statutes should be construed very narrowly so that people who are lied to about matters of conscience have no recourse. I, I, as a Canadian, quite apart what I feel about the flight of the Palestinian people, I find it offensive, I find it highly offensive. I think if people are lied to about things like, you know, uh, animal rights, about products being made locally, anything relating to human rights, They should be able to complain under federal law about the fact that they were lied to. Uh, And fortunately, the judge agreed with our position and rejected the government's extreme position because that's exactly what it was. It was an extreme position.
0: So as we mentioned, you guys won and uh, the judge ruled that indeed these labels were misleading and deceptive. Um, But And when the ruling came out, it was expected that the Canadian government will appeal the ruling. Um, despite that, uh, many organizations asked them not to. Both uh, Amnesty International, um, the Professor Michael Link, who is the United Nations Special Rapporteur for the U- Human Rights Situation in the Palestinian Territory Occupied since 1967, both asked the Trudeau government to not appeal, but they actually eventually did. So, mm-hmm.
1: what is also na- and, and also Independent Jewish Voices asked them not to appeal
0: yes so i'm gonna read a couple of now that you mentioned it i will read a couple of um reaction to the appeal before i ask you about what is the next stage now um the independent jewish voices canada released a statement saying that independent jewish voices canada is disappointed that the attorney general of canada has decided to appeal a recent federal court judgment igv's national coordinator corey balsam said and i'm quoting Sadly, the appeal looks to be solely for political reasons, to appeal to certain voters and lobbyists, rather than to pose any legitimate challenges to the judge's interpretation of Canadian law. By deciding to appeal, not only is the government betraying the rights of Canadian citizens to make conscientious decisions about the products they choose to consume, but it is defending Israel's illegal settlement project in the West Bank. Also, Farida Dev, who's the Canada director of Human Rights Watch, also criticized the appeal and she tweeted how Ottawa justifies maintaining a product of Israel label on wine clearly made in illegal West Bank settlements is beyond comprehension. Canadian consumers deserve better from their government. And uh, finally, Marion Kawas from the Canada-Palestine Association wrote in Mondo Vice, and I'm quoting, the announcement was not unexpected, especially as Canada is uh, gearing up for the federal elections on October 21st. However, it put the Canadian government squarely in the limelight as openly violating the fourth Geneva Convention. So these are a few of the reactions that to the decision of the government to appeal this, uh, this ruling. It wasn't a surprise for many. So... Despite all the support for your ruling, the government is appealing. Not surprising. What is the next stage now? What is what? What are you guys preparing to do to fight this?
1: Well, it's, uh, procedurally, the, the the next stage is the government has to file uh, a legal memorandum uh, laying out the reasons why it says the federal court of appeal should reverse the decision of the judge below. Uh, then we will have uh, an opportunity to reply in writing. Uh, I, I would imagine that our reply, our response to the government, will be due sometime early in the new year. And then, uh, after that, the next step likely will be that any parties that wish to intervene uh, will uh, will file motions uh, explaining to the court why they should be allowed to do so. Uh, I know for sure; I'm highly confident. I, I should that there, are, there will be four interveners. One is or proposed interveners. Their motions still have to be adjudicated by the court, but one is uh, B'nai Briss. The other is the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. The third is uh, the Psagoth Winery. If they are not granted party status, uh, they've made clear that they're going to seek leave to intervene. And the other is an Independent Jewish Voices Canada. I would not at all be surprised to see one or more human rights organizations, uh, possibly uh, religious institutions, also file uh, motions for intervention. Once those motions for intervention have been decided, anybody who is granted uh, the right to intervene uh, will then uh, be afforded an opportunity to file written arguments and then will have an opportunity to respond to those arguments, the parties will, and then there will be a hearing before a three-judge panel of the Federal Court of Canada, which may take place in the middle of next year, but it might not take place until the second half of next year. Uh, And then we'll have to wait for the court's decision. Uh, you know, one thing, one thing I do want to say uh, about, your, you know, you talked about the government's decision despite all these, uh, you know, uh, condemnations and these urgings not to, uh, not to appeal the decision. In the month of August, it was revealed by the Hill Times a few days ago, in the month of August, the Center for Israeli Jewish Affairs was by far the most active registered lobbyist in the country. And it is, by the way, generally one of the most active, if not the most active, uh, lobby organization, registered lobby organization federally. Uh, but it was quite remarkable to see the, the amount of lobbying activity it engaged in. And a lot of the lobbying activity, we don't have exact details of what it was doing, but a lot of it had to do with international trade. Uh, and, and the pressure campaign that was applied by the pro Israel lobby it was amazing. There was a full page ad published in the New York Times. Uh, by Rabbi Shmuley, uh, who is someone who regularly publishes ads that excoriate the critics of Israel. It was a full-page ad on the last page of the front section. It was published in the month of August, which accused the Federal Court of Canada of anti-Semitism. Just blatantly accused... And, and, and this judge who rendered this decision, this excellent judge, this honorable judge, was a person who used to be the chairperson of the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. Okay? That's how far the uh, Israel lobby went to pressure the Trudeau government uh, to appeal the decision. And, and, it, and, you know, not surprisingly, it did what the Israel lobby wanted, because it generally does what the Israel lobby wants. Uh, you know, and what we need in this country is politicians who are prepared to stand up for human rights and who aren't going to, you know, make decisions like this on the basis of some, uh, you know, shameless political calculus that will advantage them at the at the polling booth. I'm sure the Trudeau government was mindful of the fact that, you know, there's an election coming up. And uh, I, th- I think it understood perfectly well that if it didn't appeal to the decision, it was going to get vilified uh, by the Israel lobby. In fact, people like Senator Linda Frum, one of the most lobbied persons, you know, on behalf of the Center of Israel and Jewish Affairs and someone who uh, routinely uh, condemns Palestinian rights advocates and defends Israel, she was... Condemning the government simply because it took so long to make its decision uh, to appeal. It really didn't take that long at all. It made the decision three, day, three weeks before it actually had to make a decision. She was already you know, gearing up to vilify the Trudeau government in the unlikely event that it decided not to appeal. Uh, so I think that those criticisms you know, are entirely uh, correct. This was a political decision, and it is completely unjustifiable by any rational reading of international law.
0: I want to ask you about something. I don't know if you guys uh, do you have any information about that. But in the same article in Mondo Vice that Marion Kawas wrote, uh, Marion from Palestine, the Canada Palestinian Association, she talks about how the Canadian government is using the court the court ruling to actually stop Palestinian products. So she says that I'm quoting in a supreme act of petty revenge or, quote, sour grapes. The Canadian government last month held up a previously approved shipment from Taipei wines and beer from Palestine, citing the court ruling and claiming further direction from the CFIA was needed. However, in contrast to this, the wines from illegal Israeli settlements with the, quote, product of Israel label were were and are still on the shelves for sale do you know anything about the, about this uh, about uh, palestinian yes.
1: yeah yes I, uh, as a matter of fact i i also represent the importer of those palestinian products uh and in fact there has been uh, uh an update uh which uh, was not referred to in the uh, item you just read uh, and that is that the, the CFIA has taken the position that uh, these products cannot be sold the product of palestine labels because canada does not recognize the state of Palestine. So, uh, in the interim, it is allowing, it continues to allow falsely labeled wines from occupied territory uh, to be sold with those labels, even though the federal court uh, has rendered this decision. So, from my perspective, and we've communicated this to the CFIA and the uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario, the conduct of the government in this matter is plainly discriminatory. It's allowing products made by israeli settlers that are clearly mislabeled to be sold in canada but not allowing accurately labeled products made by palestinians to be sold in canada so at this stage you know we are in a discussion with the lcbo about what kind of a label will be adequate uh and until that uh, discussion plays out depending on where we end up we may or may not find ourselves in litigation again hopefully we'll be able to avoid litigation in this case the government will be reasonable uh, but uh, that remains to be seen.
0: Do you agree with Marion that maybe that was that was a, a reaction to the court ruling about the the settlements' wines?
1: I, you know, it, is it is it possible? Yes, it's possible. I, I can't, you know, unfortunately, I can't read the minds of the decision makers on the government side. Uh, it may just be that, uh, you know, they were concerned about the backlash because one actually began. But the pro-Israel lobby found out. That these products were had entered the country with pa- product of Palestine labels on them, and immediately began to vilify the government uh, simply for considering allowing uh, those labels to be affixed to the product. So the government may have just been mindful of the fact that it was going to be attacked if it didn't stop these products from being sold. Uh, you know, it may actually it may be that the decision maker in this case actually believes that because Canada doesn't recognize the state of Palestine, even though the vast majority of states on this planet do. Um, <laughs> that that you know genuinely uh you know creates a situation in which these labels cannot be used who knows at the end of the day though it looks like a very discriminatory uh set of uh decisions uh, from our perspective and unjustifiable and we're going to fight it uh until until we get justice
0: We'll we'll definitely keep an eye on both these cases. With us on the phone, activist and lawyer Dimitri Laskaris. Dimitri was given us the latest updates on the federal judge ruling last July on the misleading labels on two wines being sold in Canada. The wines are labeled product of Israel despite being produced in illegal settlements inside the Palestinian occupied territories. The judge ruled that these labels are indeed false and misleading but as usual, our Trudeau government who is a big supporter of apartheid in Palestine-Israel rejected the ruling and decided to appeal the decision, despite human rights organization and the UN rapporteur himself asking them not to do so. So we will definitely keep an eye on the case. Thank you very much, Dimitri, for talking to us again.
1: Thank you for having me back on.
0: My name is Sousan Kadura and you are listening to Under the Olive Tree.